0: Back to Luke 16, so take your, grab your Bibles and open with me. Back to Luke 16, and let me read you again uh, the same text that we've had for the last few weeks. <clears throat> Luke 16, beginning at verse 19, you follow in your copies, and, um, and I'll read you uh, that which is inerrant, infallible. Um, We believe, ladies and gentlemen, that this book, these black words on a white page, were actually not pinned, but inspired by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. So what's being said here is the very voice of God to you. It goes like this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, "Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, less, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, he'd endures forever. Guys, uh, this is my fourth and final sermon on this parable. And I know you're glad to hear about that. Uh, But um, uh, I I don't expect you to remember uh, what I said four weeks ago in the first sermon. So let me just remind you of one thing that I did say four weeks ago. I said that this parable was... Uh, Most likely aimed at the Pharisees. At the Pharisees who are mentioned and described and depicted in verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money. You see that? So immediately you can see the connection between the rich man of the parable and the Pharisees of the audience. Jesus is speaking to an audience which contains Pharisees who were lovers of money, and so he tells this parable about a man who was a lover of money. So he's using this parable, this story about a rich man, to send a message to the Pharisees who are mentioned right up here in verse 14. Now, if that's true... and and all of the commentaries agree that it is true, then the last five verses or so of this parable, beginning in verse 27 through the end, they are particularly biting for this group called Pharisees. Because one of the complaints of the Pharisees throughout the, the, uh, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ is that he had not done enough Jesus had not given them enough proof that he was the Messiah. Um, And what they needed was more. More proof. And and if you know anything about the New Testament, uh, and and maybe you don't, that's fine. We're glad you're here. Maybe we'll teach you a little bit about the New Testament. Uh, Testament, hopefully, and, and um, but if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that you were constantly coming up, uh, upon these texts in the first four books, in the Gospels, where the Pharisees were asking him to do a sign. I found six of them, and I didn't even look very hard, I could read them to you, but I, I shan't, um, uh, places where the Pharisees were asking for a sign. And, of course, you can understand, I'm sure, the the, the implication of that is, <laughs> well, I hear what you're saying there, Jesus. Yeah, but, but we're not convinced. Give us some more. Give us some more. Give us a, give us a sign. You know, and, 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 and that sign, that'll, that'll convince us. Well, guys, in essence, that's what the rich man of the parable is doing. In verses 27 through 31. He is saying, in essence, you didn't give me enough. You didn't give me enough uh, proof. I mean, if you had sent somebody from the dead to me, well, I wouldn't be in this place. But uh, since you didn't do it to me, then send them to my brothers because they're going to need some more some more proof that, um, that this is actually the truth. I mean, actually, God, I'm here. And it's not my fault. It's yours. Because if you'd just done some more, like, uh, you know, sending somebody from the dead, then I wouldn't be here. Now, l- let me pause just right there and make two quick observations because, ladies and gentlemen, 21 centuries later, and here we are um, as sophisticated Westerners, and, you know, we are in that respect much like the rich man. In a couple of ways. First of all, we, um, we are oh so ready and quick and eager to find someone else to blame for our predicament. We're good at it. Uh, for example, um, well, the reason that I'm in this bad marriage it's because of my parents. I just didn't get any good examples while I was at home. I mean, if they'd have showed me what a good a marriage was, I wouldn't have this bad marriage that I'm in. I mean, it's, it's their fault. Or um, the reason that I'm such a skeptic Is because of my temperament, you know. I'm just, I'm just one of those people. I I, I hate that sentence, but I'm just, I'm just one of those people who, who, uh, who need more. I mean, um, I'm from the show me state, and uh, and that's why. I mean, I wish I were more trusting, but I'm just not. It's just, it's just. It's not just. I'm just one of those people who have a stranger. Or um, the reason that I'm so fouled up spiritually because of my church. My church was full of hypocrites. You ever heard that? <laughs> just full of hypocrites. Um, and, and if not that, it's that preacher's fault. He was so heady. If he'd have just been a little bit simpler, then, then I would have lived a much holier life than I'm living right now. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's their fault. And guys, I'm saying that the rich man in the parable, he thinks like that. Why, if only God would have sent somebody from the dead to my house, then I wouldn't be here. So ultimately, God, it's your fault. You know, that's been around since the garden. You know the garden I'm talking about, the one in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden. Remember that what happened there? (laughs) When Adam and Eve disobeyed, rebelled. Uh, revolted at the commands of God, and they, they chose to disobey and eat the fruit. And, and then God comes, and Adam says this. I, I think you've seen this before, but you haven't. It's really... Adam says, The woman that thou gavest to me, she didst give me to eat in the night i did eat. And, and a, at the first reading, you think, Well, there he goes, blaming his wife. Just like every man, blaming his wife. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, he's really not blaming his wife. The woman that you gave to me. It's God's fault. You gave me that woman. But if you just hadn't given me that woman, then I wouldn't have done that. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that that, that skill of shifting the blame has been around since the garden. You see it in this parable. And you see it 21 centuries later in us. But let me tell you one other thing that... In, in, a, in another way that we resemble the rich young ruler or the, the rich man is is that we want a sign that's the mantra of the of the rich man it's the mantra of the Pharisees and it's the mantra of 21st century skepticism. if we only had a sign you know I, I read once some place where Woody Allen, Said, if God would only give me a clear sign, like a large deposit in a Swiss bank. <laughs> but yeah, it didn't. Just, just prove yourself to me. Well, the specific desire of this parable, the, the thing that's wanted, is someone to go from the dead. So you see, I, I hope you see what I'm trying to. My point is. These last five verses of the parable are a dig, they're a swipe at the, at the Pharisees who were constantly asking for more. And so Jesus speaks to that, that part of Pharisaism that, that suggested that they needed more. Now, one other thing before we dive in. You'll notice what Abraham's reply to this request is. It's in verse 29, I think. And he says, um, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Now, that Moses and the prophets thing, that's an idiomatic expression that would have been readily uh, recognizable by any person in Jesus' audience, especially Pharisees. Moses and the Pharisees had Moses' books, the first five, the Torah, the law, uh, and then everything added onto that is the prophets. Jesus is saying... They have their Bibles. Tell them to go home and read them. Um, but by the way, I, I should point out, they only had the Old Testament at that point. That's all he's referring to there. But Abraham's reply is, uh, I mean, the rich man says, give us, give me, send a dead man over to my house to my five brothers so that he won't come to this office. Like I didn't, didn't do it. And um, he says, they have their Bibles. Let them read those. And then the rich man replies, I mean, not to be deterred. He says, no, 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 Abraham, you don't understand. What we need is a ghost. I got a whole lot more confidence in a ghost than I do that book. So send a ghost. Then, then they'll believe. Now that brings me to my two points of my sermon this morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Here's here's what I want to do, the two headings of my sermon two things. First of all, I want to refute verse 30, and I want to affirm verse 31. (laughs) I want to refute the assertion on the part of the rich man in verse 30, and then I want to establish the truth of Abraham slash Jesus' reply in verse 31. Those are the two headings of my comments this morning. So let's get started. Um, you know, guys, the last advice any unconverted man would give to another unconverted man is go read your Bible. <laughs> but that was Abraham's, uh, advice. Go read your Bible. And then the, the rich man says, um, no, 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 no. This is verse 30. No, no, no. You don't understand. I mean, he, he, he continues. You don't understand. If somebody would go from the dead, then uh, they would believe. Um, so what he's saying is if you would just give us a resurrection, That would establish the truth of your claims. That would establish the truth of the gospel. And what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is my first point is to to refute that claim. Now, guys, if, if what was needed, according to the Pharisees, If what was needed was a resurrection, the New Testament records that there were three of those. Um, There was the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7. There was another historical Lazarus in John 11. And then there was another young boy that was raised from the dead. In Acts 20, his name was Eutychus. Now, in, in all three of those instances, what do you find? What, what goes on as a result of those, those three, the resurrections? Well, uh, in Luke 7, uh, in the raising of the son of the widow of Nain, uh, we are told in that text, you can check it out, in Luke 7, um, that the the, the the news spread like wildfire. I mean, it went from shore to shore. But... Do we find any record as to there being a great revival as a result of that boy being raised? Not a hint. Not a word. Not only that, what we find is that the opposition to Jesus Christ, as a result of that, stiffened. It grew larger. Hit hotter. And another interesting thing, ladies and gentlemen, which... On all three of these resurrections, not a one of these men that were raised from the dead, not a one of them, ever come back and say anything about what they saw while they were dead, which is the rage today. Um, Not a one of these three resurrections recorded in the New Testament ever say a word, not a single word about all. It was all light and glory and it was just beautiful and everything was buttercups and, and, and lilies and none of that, none of that. Um, but what happened in result of the the boy, uh, the son of Na, uh, the widow of Nain, Everybody hears about it, but they get madder. And then, then you have the the. This is kind of funny to me. Eutychus, it's in it's in Acts twenty. If you'd like to take a look, but you remember the story is that Paul was teaching one night. <laughs> I'm glad this happened to the apostle Paul because it happens to me a whole lot. Uh, and, and, and Paul is preaching or teaching. And he's going on and on and on. And a boy is sitting in the window and he falls asleep. You know, like some of you. <laughs> Fortunately, you're not sitting in a window. Um, but this boy fell out of the window. And I don't know what killed him. But the, the text says they, they picked him up as, a, as dead. Must have broken his neck or something. They pick him up. Paul comes down, restores his life. Now, do you know what happens next? Oh, there's a great revival of the city. No, not a word of that. You know what happens next? Paul goes back upstairs and resumes teaching. Because Paul had more to say to the audience than the boy (laughs) who had just been dead. But here's the best one. Lazarus. John chapter 11. You know that it's a historic chapter. John 11 is this wonderful chapter where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And and um, uh, um, Lazarus, by the way, I know his, his name is in this parable, but this is a parable. And this John 11 is not a parable. John 11 is a man named Lazarus. Uh, he was the brother of Mary and Martha. You remember? And so uh, Jesus shows up and and uh, they go to the tomb. And Jesus says, roll away the stone. And, and And one of the sisters says, don't do that. By this time, he stinketh. Good King, King James English word. Uh, he stinketh. He stinks. Jesus said, Roll away the way to stone. So he says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus is brought back to life. You know what happened as a result of that one? You know how the Pharisees reacted to that one? Well, I can show you. It's in chapter 12, verse 10, if you want to check it out. We're told that as a, as a result of the stir that was caused, um, about the resurrection of Lazarus, the Pharisees got together and they said, we're going to have to kill him. Does that sound like revival to you? I mean, what is being said is, if you just give us some more, well, he gave him some more. Three times. And not only on one occasion, they want to kill the guy. On another occasion, they go back and listen to Paul some more. And on the other occasion opposition grows stiffer. What? I thought there was supposed to be great revival if somebody showed up from the dead. No, ladies and gentlemen. Now, now here's my other piece of refutation. You know, ladies and gentlemen, and you know this to be true. You know this. If someone were to claim today that they had risen from the dead, we would put him on trial. We'd take him to some courtroom and we'd say, uh, all right, son, We want you to prove that you were dead. And so he would, uh, he would bring out his death certificate. They'd look at it and they'd say, oh, okay. Uh, okay. All right. Then, uh, then prove to us that you were buried. <laughs> Try that, huh? So, uh, caretaker of a cemetery comes in and said, yeah, that's a boy. I, I, I buried him all right. The audience would say, all right, well, um, um, you need to prove to us that you're the same man that got buried. <laughs> I mean, it could have been a twin. And, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, if that were to happen in some other place than our backyard let's say it happens in a neighboring state like arkansas we would dismiss the whole thing as the as the fairy tale of a bunch of unsophisticated people unbelief today still longs for more you prove it once and you got to prove it all over again um and their constant cry is that God hasn't done enough. You know, I, it would certainly create a stir. I mean, it would be pure titillation. The crowds would flock to see him like a carnival sideshow. And then they'd look, they'd listen, and then they'd leave unconvinced. You know, guys. Years ago, um, this is back in 1977. It was one of my first funerals. I had done a couple, but this was one of the first ones. And, and, the, and the funeral was a um, was a 17 year old boy. He was a big kid. He was uh, like six three and weighed 300 pounds. And he was seven, did I say 17? He was 17. And um, uh, he was killed in an automobile. He was riding from Gainesville back to Ocala, and uh, he had a little Toyota pickup truck, one of those mini truck things, and. And he was killed, and I was asked to do the funeral. His first name was Lamar. And um, I did the funeral down at the uh, funeral home, and then I came to the cemetery to uh, to do the internment. And um, the, the, the audience was, it was a big audience. It was a bunch of high school kids gotten out of school to come to the cemetery and, you know, say goodbye to Lamar and all that business. And, and while I was doing my little thing, there was all these boo-hoos and sniffles and... Yada yada yada, and then you know all the little girls were, you know, snuggling in the arms of these big strong boys. And you know, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I said amen, and not ninety seconds later, they were back in their cars, windows down, radios blaring, lighting up a cigarette, and racing out of that cemetery. And one guy, I, I, I was. Scratched off in the cemetery, and he had just come to a funeral where a kid got killed in a car. Whatever impression was made, it was temporary, it was impermanent, and it was external. So I'm suggesting. Ladies and gentlemen, that unbelief is so hardened in its unbelief, that nothing will um, will pierce its armor. Now, I gotta hurry, but the second point has to do with just affirming the truth of verse 31. Because um, that's what Abraham does. He says, Go back and read your Bibles, and he says, No, 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 you need to sin, and then he says it again. He repeats himself. That is, Abraham does. I say to you that if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Um, You know, ladies and gentlemen, what could be more more proof than what's contained in this book? Um, What more could a risen man tell you Uh, about condemnation that has been told you by this book? Is this book not explicit enough for you? I mean, what else do you need to hear about condemnation? I mean, Jesus tells you right here in in this parable. He also tells you um, in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? But I will say to you, Depart from me, I never knew you. Um, He says this in in Matthew chapter 25, which is some of the most blood-curdling words. He says, um, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he repeats it and says, uh, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What more do you want? Do you need more terrible warnings than these? Could a resurrected man tell you any more than has been told you by this? Would you believe him more than you believe Jesus? You know, listen, gentlemen, I I even say, if you don't know the difference between right and wrong after reading the Ten Commandments, what is going to teach you? And then, if you don't... I mean, how many times do you think... That the New Testament says something like, this is my favorite. This is Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. How many times do you think the New Testament says that? A gazillion? How many times does the Bible have to say that you're saved by faith in Christ, not by your merit? How many times does the Bible have to say that? Um, you know, folks, um, if what you read and what you know from this book will not persuade you, neither will you be persuaded if somebody arises from the dead. You know, about once a year or so, I, I get a question from somebody who's read a National Geographic art, article and And they've read about um, that they found the ark. Noah's ark over in Turkey. And there's been these expeditions. One of them was led by an astronaut, James Irwin. And they found the ark. They found Noah's ark. And it just happens to be residing on the side of a mountain by the name of Ararat. Which is exactly what you find in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. Or 8 verse 6. I forget. Um, But it's Ararat. And so people come and they say, oh if we could just bring that ark down, I mean, it would lead to revival. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. If they won't believe when the dead rise from the dead, if they don't believe what's recorded in this book, they won't believe anything. Anything um you know guys you have heard this preacher do his best to represent this preacher and this preacher says come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light what kinder sweeter more tender Invitation can there be than the one that is already in here? What kind of preacher do you want? What better preacher is there than the one that's recorded in here? And yet, you remain unconvinced and unconverted. Because you want more. Just like the Pharisees. You know, guys, all that can be done to convince you is going to have to be done by God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is going to have to give you new eyes and a new heart or you will continue to object to the truths that are found in here because that's the way conversion happens it's God the holy spirit using this book to convince you that you have that you have such an overwhelming need that if it doesn't get met by christ you will perish And not all of the sermons that I have preached combined will convince you of that. And neither will a man who has risen from the dead. My friends, if you are being drawn this morning, you're being drawn by God the Holy Spirit. Let me take let me three quick applications and I'll quit. First of all, this is just quick. What Jesus says here about about they have their Bibles, go read their Bibles. He's talking about the Old Testament. So there's enough in the Old Testament to convince people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, apart from the new. Um, it's not as clear. Jesus showed up on Christmas morning, but he is much to be found in the Old Testament. Even if I only have the Old Testament, i got enough. Secondly, ladies and gentlemen, if Jesus Christ thinks this highly of this book, don't you think we should? Do we? I I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, if you do, if you do think highly of this book, you know why that is? It's because you're a Christian. Because nobody thinks highly of the book that's written by the Spirit, but those people who have been born of the Spirit. Um, you know, guys, years ago I preached a sermon on, on Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 is a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. And, and, and it, the characteristic of the righteous is that they love his law and they meditate on it day and night. If Jesus thought this much of this book, maybe we should too. And for you who are here today, um, who have not yet embraced the Savior of ours, we're so glad you're here. Maybe you've got some questions, but let me, let me just point this out to you before you leave this morning. I said there were only there were three resurrections in the New Testament. There really were four. Someone else rose from the dead. And in the most highly scrutinized event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has taken place and been proved. But you are still not convinced. Just like these Pharisees. You want another piece of evidence? Try this on. There was a book. And it was written 2100 years ago. And it included a description of you. And that book was written twenty one years ago. That's impressive. But I'll tell you something even more impressive. Jesus Christ. In his life, in his death. Do you know him? Our Father, I, I pray that you will um, do the very thing that you've done in so many of our lives. And that is, you took, you took some spiritually dead people and you brought them to life. And now we've seen our sin and we've seen our need for this Savior. And unless you do that, Father, in the lives of unbelievers here today, they will never see it. You must do, you must do this work. Oh, God, would you be kind to open more eyes, to um, to quicken more hearts, and draw people irresistibly to this beautiful Savior of ours. For the rest of us, Father, to whom that's already happened, forgive us that we treat Moses and the prophets with such casualness. And would you stir up in us a desire to know you and know you better? through your word. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.